Welcome to Everyday Greatness, a nice little show proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group, one of Australia's greatest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness is a show hosted by a real human being, talking to some real people about real human issues that will help make you feel proud again of simply being a good solid Joe Bag of Donuts. Here's your host, Barnaby Howarth. Welcome to Everyday Greatness and thanks for listening. This is a show designed to celebrate the greatness inside everyday people. So grab a drink, kick your feet up and settle in. Before we start today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of Australia. I think honouring traditional, the Indigenous Australians is more important than just reading from a generic, impersonal script. So I'd like to honour our traditional owners from the heart. I love being an Australian. So I'd like to honour those who came before us, those who share their land with us today, and those who follow us. As a white Australian, some of the things that have happened in this country in the past embarrass me. So I'd like to acknowledge that I feel horrible for any pain that's been caused. But I'd also like to acknowledge how beautiful Australian Aboriginal culture, your past, your place in today's society, and your future are. Thank you for sharing your country with us. One of the nicest things you can say about a group of good people who will have your back if you fall is that they feel like family. But what's so good about families? No other group of people makes you want to scream, punch walls and cry in frustration as much as families do. So why would you use that as a term of endearment? My guests today know exactly firsthand why families are so good. Pauline Kwong is a loving mother, wife and friend and she's helped create one of those good families with her guidance, love and cooking. Pauline has been misrepresented over the last few years. Celebrity chef Kylie Kwong is Pauline's daughter. Pauline Kwong is so much more than just Kylie Kwong's mother. Andrew Trelaw is the son of a sensational father and he's now a sensational father himself. Andrew's son has seen, seen some challenges in his life, but he got through them because he has two great parents by his side. Families are hard work. They do make you want to scream, punch walls and cry in frustration. But it can all be worth it if your family is full of good people who will have your back if you fall. I'm really looking forward to chatting to my guests today to find out what makes their families tick. So I'd like to introduce Andrew Trelaw and Pauline Kwong now. If your mother tells you one of her friends is a nice lady, you can almost guarantee that person will be a salt-of-the-earth human being. And that's exactly how it is with my mother's friend, Pauline Kwong. Pauline has an incredible story, a beautiful family, and a lot of pearls of wisdom that have been building up even more so during lockdown. Pauline's modesty and graciousness, though, would never allow her to admit that. Pauline is the mother of celebrity chef Kylie Kwong. 
a lot of mothers would demand people say that Kylie Kwong is the daughter of Pauline Kwong. But Pauline doesn't really care. Kylie and her siblings, Paul and Jamie, are just Pauline's, just Pauline's little babies. And she couldn't be prouder of all three of them. Pauline knows firsthand about big, loving families. Her grandfather-in-law had 24 children to four concurrent wives in a rural village in China. Pauline herself and her late husband, Morris, have 10 siblings each. There are well over 1,200 Kwongs, and Pauline is just one of them. And I'm pleased to say that Pauline joins me now. Pauline, welcome to Everyday Greatness. Thank you, Barnaby. When you and Morris said I do at your wedding, what sort of family did you hope you'd both create? Well, I had always dreamt of getting married, building a home, having children, actually four children, two boys and two girls was my ideal family. And we were well on our way to achieving that, but unfortunately um, circumstances changed and it wasn't meant to be. But uh, being part of a large family, there was no aspiration for further education uh, past the intermediate level. So I was keen to start working to earn a living. Because being the one in the middle, I was always helping my mother with the, the younger ones and cooking, cleaning. So I guess I was always saw myself as a homemaker, a mother. I wanted to create a family where I could provide um, a, lot of, a lot of things that I missed out on having come from such a large family. And did it ever cross your mind and make you worry that Morris might be inspired by his grandfather? Kwong Su Duck and have three and have three wives beside you and want to create a dynasty with 24 children? Uh, no, uh, definitely not. Besides, it would be illegal here. Mori um, was always such an active person, lots of friends and social life and regular tennis and golf sessions. So he was fully engaged, working full-time, but really I don't think he would have had the time or the energy to engage another three wives and 21 or more children, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> besides, our our combined families totaled 20 children, so it was almost a dynasty or was already a dynasty. That's a lot of children. Most Most Australians know a little bit at least about your daughter, Kylie Kwong, but tell us a bit about your other two children. What kind of lives are Paul and Jamie living and are you just as proud of them? Yes, I am. Uh, but Paul, the eldest, is a graphic artist. He was a full-fied uh, carpenter, but he wanted to change a career. So he's always very artistic and uh, he wrote letters to friends and family overseas and they weren't letters. They were actually, I always call them a work of art. He designed letters. Anyway, he's... Uh, his, one of his friends was leaving to go overseas and he worked for an ad agency and he asked him, could he put in a good word for him and see if he could take up the position he was vacating. Uh, long story short, he um, he actually got the job by showing them one of the letters that he'd written to me and uh, he's learnt, he's now a graphic artist, he's learnt everything on the job and he uh, works with his brother and freelancers. But he, he's a wonderful friend. He's not married, he's single but uh, he keeps in touch with them religiously. He's a godfather to some of their children and he is uh, a very caring, compassionate 
uh, person. But he's also a great organiser like his father. He uh, he makes these lists. Murray used to always have uh, what he called uh, a list of chores and requisites <laughs> that he that he did when he was when holiday time came, so that he knew what he had to do during those times. But he he's um, he's uh, loves entertaining and cooking for his friends and at family gatherings, and he's very passionate about food, and he's uh, he's um, very caring and compassionate all round. He supported a friend when she was terminally ill in hospital, and with her until the end, organised a funeral as her wish, as was her wish, even though she had siblings. He's a devoted and much loved um, uncle to Jamie's three children. Beautiful, sounds a good man. Now, I believe your niece and nephew helped get you set up for this interview. Can you see the seeds of small goodness that you and Morris started planting years ago trickling down through the younger generations in your family today? Oh, I certainly can. Um, you didn't let me tell you about Jamie, Barnaby. I don't know. Uh, he might oh, sorry, that's good. rude of me. Carry on. It is true, isn't it? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, he, he did very well at art, English and woodwork at school, uh, but he always uh, saw himself in a, as a career in advertising. He started off in the mailroom at uh, an advertising agency and worked his way up to uh, account services. But anyway, in the long in he um, he actually went to London and New York where he guest lectured on the art of creative concepting at the New York School of Visual Arts. Miami Ad School, and after September 1 attacks, which he actually experienced firsthand, uh, he was just living two blocks from the towers in a high-rise building and witnessed the horrific second plane crash into the towers. So he returned to Sydney, opened his own agency, building purpose-driven brands, which have been running for 20 years. Jamie's been invited to present his methodology at conferences around Australia and a recent paper he wrote on the conscience economy has been published. He does pro bono work for social change organisations and a youth mental health charity. He also sits on a number of boards and is a shareholder and brand advisor in three new startups. He and wife Ingrid also built a boutique decade retreat in Pitwater, Sydney and are building another one in a property in Tasmania. So, you know, I am extremely proud of all my children, not just for their individual achievements, but for the decent, hardworking, caring and respectable human beings they are now. Murray would be too, and he he would never, well, he was still with us, he would never be too shy about boasting of their achievements. And very well, you should be proud. And I must apologise, Pauline, for jumping in and cutting you off before talking about Jamie. I had I had thought, oh, that's interesting, she didn't mention Jamie. <laughs> anyway, let's 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 move on. You've covered all your kids now. I've covered all my children. Right. Let's I'm get happy. on to the younger generation in your family. Are you? Can you see the seeds of small goodness that you and Maury started planting in the younger generation in your family today? Oh, I experienced almost every day. I only have to reach out to any of the younger generations in our family, and they're always willing to help, be it emotionally, physically, or technically. They always display a, a great deal of patience and compassion, uh, which we need at our age, and I know that I can always rely on them for their unfailing support. And do those kids in your family come to you for advice that they can't ask their parents about? Yes, occasionally, and hopefully my advice is helpful. I mean, I've been told that I'm a good listener, 
and just try not to judge them in any way. Perhaps this is why they feel comfortable about opening up to me to seek my counsel. As we know, often people do feel more comfortable. Uh, oh gosh, can't even speak now. Confiding in people outside of their own family nest. So, so I, this isn't. Sorry to interrupt again. This is becoming a habit. This isn't an interview about Kylie Kwong, but a beautiful story from your family was of Morris's reaction when Kylie told him she was gay and his inability to accept it, then having a huge change of heart a couple of nights later. Can you tell us what happened that week in your household? Oh, it seems so long ago, but I remember it clearly. When Kylie told us that she was gay, Morrie and I were both shocked. Coming out at over 35 years ago, it was a lot harder then than it is now. Uh, Morris's reaction was anger and he even told her that she should leave home. Unfortunately, Morris tended to, to lash out before thinking when he was upset. Of course, I was just sad and, and I was just as shocked. I felt, I felt a sadness for all that time I had envisaged that I would be watching her fall in love, plan a wedding, have children of her own. There were lots of tears shared and um, later that evening, Murray and I lay in bed and I said to him, Kylie's still the same beautiful daughter and she has always been, uh, you know, she's always been respectful. And I said, her sexual preference doesn't change that. As Kylie herself expressed, it's not an easy path to choose and I admired her for her honesty. We'd always vowed that when our children got into trouble, fell down, we'd be there to pick them up and dust them off and set them back on the path. And, uh, you know, we, I encouraged, I encouraged, I'm, I just, um, oh, it's hard. Murray had a change, a chance to absorb the enormity of Kylie's uh, decision and encouraged to speak out. So he realised how very remorseful he was for his reaction. He apologised to her and tearfully embraced her. And, I mean, from then on, their relationship changed. They became much closer. Murray would embrace her friends and wholeheartedly, I would say, that, you know, he he just, I don't know, he just accepted it wholeheartedly. And uh, Murray passed away before meeting Neil Kylie's wife. They, they met just three months after he passed away and he would, that's almost 15 years ago, he would have loved Neil, a very gifted artist, as we all do, and it's so happy that Kylie was has found someone very special in her life. That must have been. I'm sorry, you've interrupted again. Carry on. No, I should say he would have. He would have loved uh, to know that. That it must have been a very difficult time, but it's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it. It looks like one of the principles in your family, of your happy family, is cooking. Do you enjoy passing your love of cooking down to the younger Kwong generation? Oh, most definitely. I've always encouraged my children to learn how to cook from a very early age. They're always good eaters, so I enjoyed their food. So it wasn't much of a chore for them to want to participate in the uh, preparation of our meals. A friend once commented, um, she said, how can you be bothered and have the patience to teach them at such a young age? And I said, my reply was that um, that one day they will be able to cook for me. And you know what? They all do and are fabulous cooks. 
surpassing my culinary skills long ago. I even taught taught Chinese cooking classes for a number of years and loved it and the wonderful family dinners we've hosted with relations coming from interstate, overseas and locally, of course. Uh, When I look back, I really did enjoy cooking for family and friends. It never seemed a chore and I always had a willing kitchen hand to assist And do any of those Kwong kids, the kitchen hands, look like they might open their own business, their own restaurant in the coming years? No, I don't think so. Um, I doubt it, especially now with the impact this COVID pandemic has had on restaurant businesses. I mean, they see how many hours and hard work Kylie endures. And unless you have the passion and the uh, skills for cooking that she has, it would be a difficult path to choose. So I, I really doubt that they would. Your own father's village in rural China is only 20 minutes away from Morris's father's village, grandfather's village, Kuang Su Duck. How literally is the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child taken in China? Unfortunately, I've never had the opportunity to return to my homeland. I was born and bred in Australia, as was Morris, and I feel very Australian. I used to joke that Murray was the original Crocodile Dundee character. (laughs) Kylie, however, has travelled extensively throughout China and did have the opportunity to visit the Kuang family ancestral village in Tuishan province, which is three hours bus ride from Guangzhou in southern China. But during her trips, she realised that my father's village was literally 20 minutes drive from Guangzhou Duck's village. It was such a revelation to Murray and I and we had actually met in Sydney so to answer your question, like, can I comment on how that phrase is taken in China? However, I do know from my direct personal experience that, yes, it takes a community of people to raise a child. I recall many of our local families and friends in the neighbourhood helped to raise the kids and kept an eye out for them as we did theirs. What influence have your friends in Australia had on your own family's happiness? I can only speak from my own experience because all families have different ways of being. When Murray and I raised the kids, we were lucky to live in a a caring, inclusive, community-minded neighbourhood, North Epping. The kids kids had lots of friends, school at North Epping Primary and local high schools. Murray and I had lots of friends in our local social group. We all looked out for each other's children and in addition to this, we were blessed to have both large families we each had 10 siblings, so our children were always, there were always many people whom they could feel supported and mentored by. You mentioned Mori sounded like the original Crocodile Dundee. Your own village in Australia includes the Pennant Hills Golf Club. Allegedly, when Mori used to walk into the club, he'd shout, How's it going? to every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the place. Was it, ever, was it ever embarrassing walking in with him? Uh, never. I could see that he was well thought of, even the lady members who knew him. They loved him as he always greeted them at the uh, often waiting on the first tee to hit off after the ladies finished their round and he'd inquire, how was your game today? And he often received a kiss on the cheek. To this day, many of them still recall him fondly. I think that he enjoyed the kisses too. When Murray was terminally ill, the support from members was amazing. 
mean, Darcy Clough, the captain at the time, instructed the um, members not to hassle me with their inquiries as to his health. But each Wednesday after competition, he received a get. Oh no, he would he would give them a weekly update uh, after presentation each Wednesday. So that was that was really very thoughtful of him. Uh, after, uh, he received a get well card from a member who addressed the envelope to the most popular member of Pennant Hills Golf Club, which brought tears to our eyes. He was very humbled by that and I felt so proud of him. You have remarried since you lost Morris. How do your kids get along with your husband, Brian Yee? Thankfully, amazingly well. I'm happy to say they at, um, they and my whole extended family have embraced Brian with open arms. They can see how happy I am and are grateful for the care and companionship that uh, Brian has given me. It means that they don't have to worry about me as they know I have someone very special to look after me. Very lucky children. What kind of adults do you hope your grandkids would grow up to be? Uh, well, what sort of grandchildren? Well, they are already young adults and I couldn't be prouder. I mean, they're all very healthy. They're happy, creative, respectful and well-adjusted, which is what I'd hope for. Both Indiana and Jai have careers that they love. Finn will finish um, year 12 this year and has worked in casual jobs. As, they've all worked as casual jobs as teenagers and have great worth ethics passed on to them by their parents. So they take nothing for granted and it goes without saying that I adore them. Very lucky grandchildren. What makes you the most thankful to be an Australian today? Oh, not only me, but my whole family thank my father for choosing to migrate to Australia from China all those years ago. I mean, you only have to look at the rest of the world to appreciate what a lucky country this is. I love our pristine natural environment. I love how we access so many, have access to so much delicious fresh food and our health system is one of the best in the world. Every day I'm, I'm most grateful that all my family live here and very soon we'll be reunited amount, around the dinner table doing what we most love to do, sharing delicious home-cooked food with each other. I'm a proud Australian, free to embrace my Chinese heritage and prosper. I mean, it is a blessing I do not take lightly. Well, Pauline, when my mother, when my mother tells you you're a nice, tells me you're a nice lady, She's underselling you. You are a salt of the earth human being and I want to thank you for being on Everyday Greatness. Thank you, Barnaby. In suburban football back in the day, one of the biggest compliments you could pay a player was to say he was a good footballer. If you heard your father call someone a good man, you knew they must be one of the best. Today, just being good is seen as just a solid starting point to launch towards greatness. If you're only considered good, it's assumed you must have failed somewhere if you didn't go on to be great. Some people, thankfully, though, buck the trend, and I'm proud to say that my next guest, Andrew Trelaw, is a good man. Andrew was a very good footballer. He is a very good son, has a very good family, and he's a very good dad and husband. Andrew's son, Ben, was born with a tongue tie, 
so he couldn't be- breastfeed for the first few weeks of his life. Andrew found it confusing and overwhelming trying to wade through the mountains of information. But he sat down with his wife, Flavia, and made the best decision for his family. Ben faced another challenge when their family home was infested with mould and he had trouble breathing. But again, Andrew, with his wife, Flavia, made decisions that mean that Ben is now a healthy, thriving young boy. Andrew is happy to be a good person, carrying on making good decisions for his family. And if Ben decides when he grows up that he wants to be great, Andrew and Flavia will be right by his side. If Ben ends up being a good, happy man, his dad will be proud as punch. I'm very privileged to say that Andrew Chalor joins me now on Everyday Greatness. Andrew, welcome. Thanks for having us, Barney. Really appreciate it, mate. What did family mean to you growing up as a child in Melbourne? Look, for me, Barn, um, growing up in Melbourne um, with my family, uh, I grew up without um, any uh, siblings. I had a half-sister um, who lived on the other side of the world in America, so I didn't have a lot to do with her. So I grew up with a really small family um, with no first cousins. And so um, I guess for me as an only child, it, um, I was lucky enough to have a really strong connection with both my parents and really what I learned was that um, they made as much time as they could in their lives to connect with me and make family time a real priority and uh, put it at the highest of importance. So um, just having that real strong connection with my parents was, was such a big thing, um, which not everyone has that privilege any, anymore. And I suppose my mother and, and father also, you know, as a result of having a small family, wanted to actually create um, an environment for me and for us where we had a lot of people around all the time to make up for that small, like, close uh, family that we we had. So we had lots of people around for um, dinners all the time, even during the week, and and we would involve and create a community within our own own home. So it it was a home that was welcoming and warm and fun and very hospitable where people wanted to be, where people wanted to go to and and if they needed help or um, were in in need, um, it was a place where people could have refuge and and feel um, supported. And what kind of family, what does family mean to you now that you're trying to put bread on the table for your own family? Look, for me, mate, it's about, the connection you have with those closest to you and making sure that it's a strong bond, it's a strong connection and that it's a place that you can hold space for, for those people closest and dearest to you where they can truly be themselves. Um, They can let all their feelings and emotions um, be expressed in that safe environment so then when they go out to the world, they're better equipped to then handle and deal with their environment um, because they feel safe and secure within as a starting point. So um, that's what it means to me, as well as being considerate to others. So being considerate of each other and, and putting others, um, you know, of equal importance to yourself. Your modesty and humility might not let you admit this, but you were a very good footballer back in the day. Playing football in the Victorian Football League, 
are you still great mates with people you used to play footy with? And how important has it been having good people around you to lean on since you've retired from football? Look, um, it's a great question, but I, um, I just a few weeks ago I went to a men's group, um, which seems to be something that's popping up more and more often um, around the place um, where guys get together and they support one another. And I was having a, a chat to a Brazilian guy in that in that group, and I was saying, you know, to me, what the energy that I feel here in this group is that that I used to experience and feel when I used to play football with all my close mates from then. And, you know, I still, um, some of my closest mates um, in the world are those that I played football with, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And it's quite a unique relationship that you have having um, shared those unique experiences out on the field and, and develop that trust within and for each other um, that you then hold on to um, going further forward in life and you those bonds are always there and um, yeah it's a strong camaraderie um, so yeah I, I hold it really dear um, to my heart having and those have, friendships sorry to interrupt I'm just on fire with interrupting this this uh, episode <laughs> have any of those mates said or done one singular thing that's inspired a huge life changing changing direction you've taken in your life or have they just been good mates who give you confidence in life just because you know they'll be there for you if you need them i think both barn um that last point you made they have been supremely supportive and and continue to be and connected but um you know there's a few of them have done certain things that have been inspirational and um without embarrassing you you're you're one of those people that I used to play football with and that I hold in um, extremely high regard. And, and what you're doing with your life, mate, is a true inspiration to myself and to so many others. Um, seeing you speak up on stage a few years ago here on the Gold Coast, I was in total awe of you, mate. And, um, and uh, as certainly when you came to our wedding in Brazil, um, the connection that you made with all the, the guests there from Australia, um, just they were in awe of what you're doing with your life. So not to uh, take the shadow off anything, but, it, yeah, um, or embarrass you, mate, but you, you're certainly one of those people. I'm going to have to walk out the door sideways in a second. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you to say, mate. Um, what lessons are you trying to pass on to your son, Ben, that you picked up from when you were a kid in Melbourne? Um, look, um, I would say, um, just being respectful of others and respecting oneself as well. Um, and, uh, I guess just, just being, having a lot of self-love for yourself and enjoying life and, um, and getting the best out of yourself. Very well said. So tell me more about those challenges that Ben faced early in his life when he came to the world. Um, yeah, look, it was a really stressful time for our family. Um, I think it's it's a challenge enough becoming a new parent and uh, and taking on that role. But then when you've got a son who's born with a tongue tie and he can't breastfeed at all and um, you're not knowing exactly what's happening, and then trying to identify those problems and try to find a solution really quickly. Um, in the first few weeks of his life, it was a 
tremendously stressful time. Um, and on top of that, we, we did have a, a mold issue in our house, uh, which led to some severe breathing, um, challenges and difficulty for Ben to the point where he almost stopped breathing one night. And, you know, there were multiple nights, um, for many, many months there where we would, wake up in the middle of the night and hear him struggling to breathe and we'd be running to the hospital between the hospital and and then wondering should we drive back home is it too dangerous to bring him back into our house so yeah it was a um it was a terrifying time um but um we were able to get beyond that and um uh you know find a way to fix our house and move beyond it and and uh, address his tongue tie so he was then able to successfully um, uh, breastfeed um, immediately after a laser surgery and things turned around for his health dramatically in a very short period of time uh, thereafter. So, um, yeah, it was a big learning experience. Very lucky boy, Ben. Before Ben was born, did you and Flavia sit down and write a game plan as to how you wanted to parent or do you just take things one day at a time? Oh, uh, look, we, I think we had a, a, a vague idea of how we wanted to parent or how we didn't want to parent. Um, and, you know, I, I think we did a bit of, a bit of reading, um, to get informed about, you know, different ways of how you can raise your children rather than just going with the flow. Um, but also as we've gone along, um, just adopting some principles of, um, sort of being aware of aware parenting. Um, where just, as I said earlier, allowing your children to express their emotions and knowing that, um, you know, uh, they, it takes them a while to be able to regulate how their feelings and emotions are presented. So just holding the space for them and allowing that is a big part of how we, um, help Ben to, um, manage daily life and manage his environment and, um, just creating a loving, supporting, um, environment for him. And um, it's daily work, Barn, you know, as a parent, um, just trying to work on your own stuff so you don't pass those bad habits you've picked up in your own life and pass on to the next generation. So um, that's certainly something that my wife and I um, try to do. Um, fail regularly, but try to try our best to, you know, learn from those experiences and, and make Ben a better person. Don't we all? Failing regularly isn't your Robinson Crusoe moment, don't worry. So Flavia is Brazilian and most of her family are back in Brazil still. So how important is it to her that you guys are creating your own little loving family while she's so far away from hers? Oh, it's huge, Ben. Um, you know, even before we had Ben, um, you know, to be living on the other side of the world from the rest of your family and friends, it's, it's, it's got, you know, presents a lot of challenges and, um, and just, trying to be there for her to feel like you know you're you're providing all those roles that are missing from from back home is is something that you know constant is a constant challenge and um but also you know trying to create community um as well for filling that void um and and also keeping connected with with our um, her brazilian family as much as we can through um, online platforms and and I think the rest of the world can fully appreciate that now even if you've got family that live around the corner or interstate you know with what's happened the last 18 months 24 months that um, you know like 
I think people realise more now than ever how important that family connection is. And uh, geographic distance, thankfully, isn't as big a problem as it was growing up in our day. So um, I think using those those platforms and mediums is, is just so terribly important, but also trying to create that community and that family environment for Flavia is um, something that, you know, I think about on a daily basis. Beautiful. Now, you are an important man in a lot of people's lives. You're a chiropractor. Tell me about your business. Is it just a production line? Do you just get people in, crack their back, get their money and get them out? Or do you take an interest in each patient's personal circumstances? Rack them and stack them. Um, <laughs> no, mate, um, it's certainly um, not the way that I approach uh, things philosophically and, and practically in the clinic. We we take a really caring, tailored approach to our patients and, you know, we really listen and care for the people who come in um, because those people who come into our office have normally tried anything and everything else. Um, so you're often the last resort. So to be able to provide hope to those people um, with an alternative methodology and a de- an alternative approach um, and with with care um, it's something that you know we take really seriously and um, just see it as such an important um, service to provide um, so from my point of view you know we're we're addressing the person as a, as a whole being um, and looking at them holistically looking at them and seeing how they are emotionally how they are physically and how they are um, biochemically. So, you know, we really take a very um, diverse approach um, and look at the person as a whole person and, you know, really patient-centred care. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how we do it at Essence Chiropractic. Very nice to hear. Now, the Trelaw family are a very proud Melbourne Demons family. Your father, John, though, couldn't make the Demons' last grand final win in 1964. Why not? What was he doing? Mate, he was um, he, prior to the grand final uh, that year, he embarked upon a, a world trip to, um, to go and um, live in Canada. So he jumped on a ship um, in Melbourne or Sydney and I think it took several months to arrive there. And so he unfortunately missed the last grand final that Melbourne won um, all those 60-odd years ago. Um, 60 plus years ago so and I asked him mate um, how long did it take you to actually find out the result and he said I probably would have been two or three months after the result that I knew that they'd won Um, so yeah very different times back then Um, certainly didn't have the instant gratification that we all have these days with uh, the internet etc and um, modern day technology so yeah quite staggering to, to believe those stories from the old man that's almost hard to believe. Now, just uh, to let people know, we're recording this interview the weekend before the AFL Grand Final where the Melbournes will be featuring. So hopefully by the time you hear this podcast, Troll has been celebrating and the Demons are premiers again since the first time since 1964. Now, I can't, I can't let you leave without asking you this question, Andrew. Why isn't there one mindset that consistently leads to success in sport why is it sometimes brats like John McEnroe are on top of the world when gracious human beings, sorry, then gracious human beings like Roger Federer take over? Look, 
I think, to be honest, man, I think those people who get and reach those elite levels, I think they all do have the same mindset. I think they have the same mindset of total and utter self-belief in what they're doing and their God-given talent and that they have a gift um, and that they, it's like almost they're destined to um, actualize that, to realize that. But certainly within that mindset, um, and, and having a you know fierce um, competitiveness and, and they're driven, but certainly there's a huge um, variety of personalities um, that reach that level of sport, um, which makes those sports interesting within themselves because all sports need personalities, and when when they're lacking in those personalities, um, they certainly doesn't have the same flair and, um, and 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 novel interest. I think. Um, in those sports. So I, I do believe, though, that underpinning it all, you know, these people are so um, – they're so certain in what they're doing and um, and also they just work so hard to get there. Very well said. Are there lessons you learn in sport that you bring home to your family or take to your business? Yeah, I wrote down a couple um, and first thing for me was um, – you know, playing AFL at a reasonably high level, it taught me to be disciplined. And I've seen that crossover in um, different areas of my life, particularly when I was studying um, my chiropractic as a mature age student and, and doing things that were really challenging and things I'd never studied before. Um, so um, it certainly taught me discipline, uh, discipline, I should say, and also resilience. So just how to you know, um, get up off the ground when times are challenging, when the tough gets going, um, as it has the last 24 months. For most people around the world, I think football's helped me to um, have that inner strength to, you know, get up and go again. Um, like as our coaches used to say, second, third, fourth efforts um, and just keep trying, trying. So they're two, two things for sure that I learned from football. Beautiful. Now, you grew up in a great family as a kid in Melbourne and you are a father and a husband in another great family right now on the Gold Coast. Which city is better, Melbourne or Gold Coast? Oh, that's a tricky one, mate. Um, uh, Hard to say which is better, um, but certainly very different, the two, Um, and uh, I think I grew up in Melbourne um, in the 80s, 90s in a real golden era of the city. Um, it still had a small, I wouldn't say small town vibe, but it, it certainly wasn't a metropolis that it is today. So there was a real like locality to it, um, you know, and, and there was a real safety to it um, where, you know, you'd see kids playing in the street till 8, 9 o'clock at, o'clock at night, you know, um, daylight savings time and, and uh, we had that freedom back then. Um, and nowadays living on the Gold Coast, um, you know, feel really blessed that have the ability to, um, as Pauline was talking about, enjoy um, the beautiful nature that you know, this country has to offer um, and, you know, getting the beach and certainly providing that beach culture to, to Ben and our family. It's a big part of our lifestyle. And so, um, you yeah, know, feel so blessed that, you know, we have that beach just at our doorstep here. Very well said. What has been the makeup of both of your families, both the one you grew up in and the one you're raising now, that have made them great? Was it just flat out luck or are all the good people in them 
just doing small good things? I think it is that thing of, um, you know, people doing, um, having the best interests at heart of each other and, um, um, and having a care for one another and showing to each other in the family that that person matters, you know, that their life matters. So, and I think as long as you've got that as a, an underlying um, theme, as an underlying um, uh, driving motivation, uh, then I think, you know, you create a strong, strong families um, and, yeah, maybe there's a bit of luck in it as well, I think, as well, no doubt about that. So I feel pretty blessed with the family I was given and that I have now. As well you should be. And just lastly, Andrew, what sort of man would you like Ben to be when he's 25? Um, <clears throat> a person who loves himself um, and uh, from that he can then love other people and feel content and feel whole in himself so no matter what challenges comes his way, um, he'll always be able to connect within himself and feel like um, he has the answers within him no matter what what challenges he's presented with and he has that inner strength um, and just doing what he loves and loving what he does. Um, and within that, they'll bring a great happiness and contentment within his life where he won't be chasing something external. He'll just be... Um, just blissfully happy with you. That's what I want for him. Well, Andrew, as I said at the top, you are a good man. Thank you so much for joining me on Everyday Greatness. Thanks, Barn. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate, and um, thank you so much for allowing me to chat on your show, mate. No Keep problem up at the all. good work. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Pauline. Thank you all for listening, and thanks to the ARA Group for being our major sponsor for the fourth year in a row. And I want to thank Look Studio Australia, for all the incredible recording and technical work you guys do behind the scenes to make this show a reality. And I hope that when you all put your devices down in a little while, you lift your head up, push your shoulders back, and walk down the street, proud of being an everyday Joe Bag of Donuts. I hope you can all join me next episode where I'll be speaking to the 2016 school captain at the Hills Grammar School, Cooper Lee, and the CEO of youth leadership group Y Lead, Belinda Yorston. I'll be speaking to them both about how not to be a tool at school. Thank you again for joining me. To find out more about Everyday Greatness, go to our website, everydaygreatness.com.au or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube or LinkedIn. Thank you again for joining me.